flag for the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. My oh High fly ball into right field. She is gone. Oh, drives one. Right field. Did he do it? He did. Are you kidding me? Just when it felt like the wall had been knocked down, we're back to a crawl. The hot stove isn't so hot right now, but it's just a matter of time. As we all know, FSS Plus Podcast Future Star Series with Joe Doyle. I'm Jason Churchill. Hey, let's let's talk about that today, Joe, a little bit. At the end of the show here, let's dig into how do we make this winner a little bit more engaging for fans? Because to be honest with you, like we're hardcore baseball guys. It's been boring most of the time. I, I think you'd agree, and I think there's some some meat on the bone, so to speak, in terms of you know things the league can do and implement to, uh, to 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 make this a little bit more interesting and more fun, a little bit more consistent. I would think you have a couple of ideas for that later in the show. Am I am I right about that? I generally have some takes. <laughs> He's got a grin on his face. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so we'll do that um, before we. Uh, uh, before we get into that, though, I want to talk prospects. Uh, I enlisted uh, your assistance in kind of gathering the top, you know, 12, I think we landed on, uh, prospects that have been traded so far. And the reason I wanted to do that is because, uh, one, it's interesting. Anytime prospects get moved and farm systems change, um, it opens up an avenue for a conversation about those players, those farm systems, things like that. So check that out at futurestarseries.com. It's the top 12 prospects. The rankings are Joe's, and I pulled some quotes from uh, uh, Joe's uh, trade write-up, uh, the Juan Soto and Alex Verdugo trade write-ups on those players. Um, but more prospects are going to get traded you know, this winter. I think we all you know, expect that. And there's a chance, Joe, that none of the players that are in the top five end up in the top five. So I think that's a really interesting conversation. So what I want to do, we'll stay on the, the trend of five here. Uh, I want to talk about five teams out there that seem poised to make a significant trade from a farm system standpoint. Like what players are untouchable, if any? What players most likely to be included uh, in a significant deal? Uh, so I want to get to that. Uh, as well. And I've picked out five teams and I'm going to keep them secret until we get there. I'm not going to tell Joe what those teams are. I have not told Joe what those teams are. So we're going to get Joe's, you know, kind of raw reaction to those farm systems and those team needs uh, as we move forward. But you know what else I've been thinking about, Joe, is like we're, you know, time wise, we're, you know, we're what? We're seven weeks, eight weeks, almost eight weeks into the into the off season. So time wise, that's about, you know, what? 60% of the way, 55% of the way, spring training opens mid-February. So we got, you know, we got uh, we got six, seven weeks left. So we're a little past the halfway point. But in terms of deals, it seems like maybe we haven't hit halfway. We still have some significant free agents, things of that nature. But uh, up to this point, I'm curious to get your take on who has had uh, the best winter so far from a club standpoint, who's really done the most damn. I mean, let's pull the Dodgers out of there because that's probably too easy. Adding Shohei Otani was enormous for them and opens up a lot of doors for them. Uh, not that they didn't have any <laughs> open doors for them with, uh, yeah. with their ownership and their willingness and their revenues and things like that. And they're in LA, but who's had the best winner so far? Wh which team stands out to you uh, at the top? 
I think the one that stands out like from the outset without really giving it too much thought, I really like what the Royals have done. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been probably the most active team on the market. I think they've signed five or six guys. I, you know, the Royals have never been a team that has really needed to move the needle with a splash, but uh, raising the floor with guys like Seth Lugo and Michael Waka and, you know, a Swiss army, like a uh, Swiss army knife, like Chris Stratton and, some help at the back of the bullpen with Will Smith, like that, that pitching staff and that bullpen was a disaster in 2023. I mean, um, injuries and just lack of talent in the bullpen was a huge issue. So um, I I really like what they've done. I think that they've certainly uh, raised the floor. And if you're a team that's playing in the AL central, (laughs) sometimes, (laughs) sometimes the floor is what gets it across the finish line. Yeah, it really is. Um, uh, that, that those gets to me, and and while I like that the Royals are doing this, those additions to me sound like like I think we're going to be talking about Michael Walker in July. We're yes. going to be talking about Hunter Renfro in July. We're absolutely going to be talking about Wilson. I would be absolutely shocked if at least two of those multi-year one plus one contracts ended up on other teams. I'd, I'd be shocked if they didn't. I think Will Smith, is, if he's healthy, is pitching somewhere else in August other than Kansas City. Michael Walker, two-year deal, might be pitching somewhere else come August, but that doesn't make it, that doesn't change the, uh, the efforts there. I, I, I like it too. How about Detroit? Joe, you get, uh, you, you get Mark Canna, you trade for Mark Canna, you sign Kenta Maeda, uh, you add, uh, Andrew Chafin back. You've now signed Jack Flaherty to a one-year deal. Uh, I like what Detroit's done there because there's some, there's some young talent on that team. We saw Spencer Torkelson last year, really finally start to turn a corner, uh, I think the two of us really like Riley Green out there in center field. There's some talent on that team. If they have any luck with their pitching injuries, Detroit could win that division. Yeah. No, I actually, um, what you said about the Royals in terms of those guys moving, Detroit is the first team that comes to mind for me when it when you talk about moving guys, because for Detroit, if all things go well, you know, Matt Manning, Casey Mize, Tarek Skubal, They've got arms that they would hope are eating up big innings in the second half of this this 2024 season. And if that's the case, they may be able to move uh, a Jack Flaherty who ends up being, you know, who ends up being a strong four, that, but they just have to kind of push out of the rotation. So like, I could see Flaherty being moved. I could see Kenta Maeda being moved, although, you know, I, I said back in October, uh, Kenta Maeda and Hunjin Ryu were two of my favorite uh, free agents this winter. I just think there's immense value um, in in what you're going to get for 10 to 14 million bucks for those guys. So I do think, like like you said, or like I said, the AL Central is is gettable and the Guardians are in a weird spot with their offense and it hasn't gotten any better. And the White Sox are clearly turning things over. Uh, is this going to be Detroit's? Is this going to be Kansas City's? Like, I think it's wide open. I do want to throw one other team into this mixer that, I personally think it has had a really good offseason. And the national narrative and those fans actually don't seem to agree. I think the Cardinals have had a great offseason. I totally understand. The fans don't agree? I, what, no. What, what are but, Cardinals fans saying? I, 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 don't, uh, I don't understand how they could not really like. I mean, wanting more is one thing. you know. But if there's a team in the National League Central that shouldn't like what's going on now, um, I think Pittsburgh Pirates should do more. I think the mm-hmm. Cincinnati Reds are doing some stuff. The Cubs, that's the fan base that should be a little on edge right now. They, they've done virtually nothing, and Cody Bellinger's hanging out there in free agency. And the Milwaukee Brewers are clearly tearing it down. The Cardinals fan base is is a little upset or, or, or not impressed, so to speak. 
Well, look at it this way. You you signed the guy who gave up the most homers last year. You signed the guy that had the highest qualified ERA last year, and you signed Sonny Gray to a three-year deal, and he's already 34 years old. Now, to me, I've watched Lance Lynn long enough to know that ain't going to happen again. Like, it's right. just, yeah. that's not Lance Lynn. Yeah. And Kyle Gibson is regarded as one of the most respected, well-liked, hardest-working guys in the business. I just don't see a way where he's going to get torched like he did again last year. And so if sure, that's the does, case. Does this speak to maybe there being a disconnect between especially the casual fan because we can't expect them to to live and breathe this stuff like the hardcore fans do but even some of the hardcore fans like there is and you talked about it with the royals there is so much value to raising the floor there's such a an enormous difference between lance lynn and kyle gibson's most likely outcome and your typical AAA starter that has to come up and cover 130 innings because you don't have anybody else. There's a remarkable difference. You could have preferred Shohei Otani or Yamamoto or Blake Snell. Totally understand that. You're not wrong. Or even Marcus Stroman, for that matter. You're not wrong. But those guys are viable, valuable, major league quality starters. So you can pencil in for, I mean, with Gibson, that's 150 innings plus, right? With with Lance Land, maybe it's a little, little touchier, you know, a little, little more uh, volatile. But there's a pretty big difference between those two guys moving into 2024 and your typical guy from that you're going to pull up from the minors or, or some guy you might sign on a $1 million deal, right? Shoot, this is a, I mean, they signed 440 innings for $49, $50 million. They didn't have any pitching last year. They didn't have, I, I mean, you can speak to, you know, one of the guys that they relied on most was Adam Wainwright, who was 10 strikeouts away from his milestone four months the guy can't get anybody out. Uh, he's throwing 86 now, and I love Adam Wainwright. But all all three of these guys are are a better bet to be productive in 2024 than Adam Wainwright was in, in 2023. So uh, there's value in the fact that you're going to get 420 to 450 innings out of these guys, and every single one of them has been through the thick of a playoff race. Like, you're not going to get... Lance Lynn is not going to fold under the pressure. Kyle Gibson is not going to fold under the pressure. And Sonny Gray is a dog. Sonny Gray might, uh, you know, because of his age, and he, he might slow down a little bit towards the end of the year, but that was arguably the best pitcher in the American League for the first three months of right. the season. And so, the Cy Young running, absolutely. Yeah, a Cy Young guy. So I think they've done really, really well. I think if you look at Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn from a career standpoint, or even even from the sample of the last three years, um, you're getting a guy that's reliable. He's going to be a four. He's going to give you a chance to win every night. The Cardinals scored runs last year. They just needed some more uh, some more respectable innings. All three of these guys are going to be a better option than what Jack Flaherty provided last season. Yeah, I, I like what the Cardinals have done. I mean, should they do more? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think uh, maybe another bullpen arm or two, but we haven't really seen the bullpen market move a whole lot. One more team I'll throw out there before we before we dive into the uh, the meat and cheese of all of this. Um, the Arizona Diamondbacks. You acquire Eugenio Suarez from Seattle for nothing. You're going to miss for 2024. Uh, solidifies third base. Yeah, he's a big strikeout guy, but in that place, probably hits 30 home runs again. Um, plays really good defense. Uh, he's a really good culture guy. We saw that in Seattle. Um, then they sign uh, Eduardo Rodriguez to, to four and eighty. Uh, so now you have Merrill Kelly, Zach Gallon, and Eduardo Rodriguez at the top of that rotation. That's a pretty good one, two, three in whatever order you want to put that in. And you're going to beat a lot of teams with those three. You know, you're not going to beat uh, Garrett Cole three times in a row with that thing. But those top three, I mean, that was a big deal, I think, for Arizona to grab Rodriguez and kind of put him up there with those other two. 
they probably still have some bullpen holes, but you know, bringing back uh, Guriel Jr., I think Arizona's had a really good, uh, you know, productive offseason. Um, you know, ignoring the money they spent. It doesn't matter how you do it. Look at that roster. It looks better. It looks better looks than good. it did a year ago, and they're probably not done. So I think Arizona probably belongs somewhere in that conversation as well. Obviously, the Yankees so far, I think, have done fairly well. If we just look at it from an, from an addition standpoint. They've done well so far. Yeah, they need to do more pitching. Yeah, pitching, I, I mean, pitching, 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 pitching. They've done nothing on the pitching. They don't have any bit. pitching. I, I listen, Juan Soto was was always such a not a layup, but like Juan Soto is the the start. Like that's the appetizer. Like, hey, mm. we need a left handed bat. Hey, we didn't score enough runs. Hey, we struck out way too much. Hey, we're we're you know uh, not an athletic team. Juan Soto is always going to be the appetizer. That team needs two starters. That team needs two starters bad. And I think moving. A guy like Michael King, who could have provided you that. And I don't think mm -hmm. Drew Thorpe is more than two months away from making his big league debut. He's a good arm. Mm -hmm. um, you know, reports coming out of New York that they they may lean on Will Warren to be their number five. I yeah. like Will Warren. He's yeah. ranked very fondly in my in my top 10 Yankees prospects. But I mean, you're the New That's York. That's not Yankees. where the Yankees should be, right? No, That's not where the New Yankees Jordan should Montgomery be. should be a New York Yankee right now. But it seems like it, if from Brian Cashman's standpoint, like just so far, and yeah, they 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 need to do more things. I think they're probably three arms away from where they really need to be, and they're probably three prominent arms, two in the rotation, one in the bullpen. But when you look at what they've done so far, Soto and Verdugo solidifying and and raising the ceiling, you know, uh, in Soto's case, uh, in that lineup on a team that was 25th in the league in runs scored a year ago. I didn't realize they were that bad until right this moment when I looked that up, Joe. That wow. they didn't they did they needed offense a little more than I thought they did. So they got that done and now it's pitching and we'll see uh but the Yankees have at least been interesting and active so far. I will we'll see, see they've they been interesting. Out. It it is a, it is refreshing that the cliché annoying New York Yankees are back. Yeah, the <laughs> Yeah, they're not as annoying though. You know no, what I mean? They're, they're not as annoying because it's like all, all they're the like York. the uh, they're the, they're the, like they're like the mortal wound star, not the death star. Like, yeah, they're not yeah, gonna kill you. Okay, but okay, I like that. It I could. Like yeah, I'm also puzzled. I'm puzzled by the way why Toronto has been so silent to this point. I, I know they were in an Otani. They were probably waiting around for that. Uh, but you'd think they'd have some things lined up. They don't know who the third baseman is going to be. They appear to be star, uh, short on a starting pitcher. We know they're short in the outfield, uh, and we know they're short in the bullpen. Uh, I'm just it's a little weird that they haven't moved as well, but a lot of other teams haven't moved either. And we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit later. Uh, so actually, let's do some of it right now. Um, like I said at the top, I, I asked for your assistance. Hey, Joe, I went to Slack and I went, hey, can you throw together like your top? I said 10 uh, and you gave me more than 10. Rank the, the traded prospects and I'll use that for a piece. And, and I did that. That's up at futurestarseries.com this morning. A Thursday morning is when I put that up. Uh, but more prospects are going to get moved than that. So I expect that list to be almost a, completely irrelevant. You know, most of those guys moving off that list uh, once the, uh, the offseason's over. So here's what I did. I started thinking strategically, what are five clubs who are most likely to make a significant trade? And... I'm kind of curious if that club in your mind has an untouchable, so to speak, no one's really truly untouchable, but an untouchable, so to speak. And with that club's farm system, which prospect is most likely to be involved in a significant deal? 
Let's start with the Dodgers right at the top, not to bore the daylights out of the other the, the other 29 fan bases, but we know they're in on Yamamoto. Uh, we know Otani's in the books, but even if they sign Yamamoto, they, they they still may be involved in the trade market for pitching, including maybe Corbin Burns or Dylan Cease or even a reliever like Devin Williams or Emmanuel Clossy in Cleveland. So before you tell me which Dodgers prospect is the most likely to be involved in these talks and ultimately maybe get moved, Untouchables are rare, but sometimes there's a guy like in Baltimore, that's probably Jackson Holiday. In in San Diego, that's probably Ethan Salas. There's sometimes there's a guy where it seems close to 100% they're not going anywhere, right? Do the Dodgers, number one, have that untouchable? And number two, who's the guy that probably has to go if they're acquiring a Dylan Cease or something of that nature? Man, an untouchable with the Dodgers. Uh it seems no. But. It doesn't seem like it. I, I mean, the guy that I would point to as as maybe that guy is Dalton Rushing, just because mm. I think he's an interesting kind of a unicorn. Like he's a little bit like Nolan Gorman. I I don't know where Dalton Rushing is going to play for the Dodgers, but they really really like him. Other than that, can he catch? Can he catch no, it all? I, can he can he catch sixty games a year? Yes, yes. He. Right. I mean, he's got the arm for it. Right. Sure. And, and and the direction that Major League Baseball is moving, um, I think anybody with with a strong throwing arm and a willingness to block the ball can catch and he can do that. Right. Um, so I, I kind of always default to yes, as long as you have the throwing arm. But in any case, like you're buying the bat here, it might be a 55 hit. 55 power or 55 that doesn't really sound power. like any kind of an untouchable right they might prefer not to move him but if the white Sox said rushing I, has to be yes. the best prospect here the dodgers aren't saying no right i probably not no i mean and, and you is think, he you the know most crazy? likely guy is he the guy is he the guy that if you're calling the dodgers and you're talking about the farm system is he the one guy that probably every team is bringing up first i I don't think so. I, I would think that if you're calling the Dodgers, you're calling about an arm. Like I would think that teams are probably calling about Kyle Hurt first or River Ryan just because they're interesting metrically. They've been through that system. They have a chance to start. They've got a plus carrying pitch. Um, like those would be the guys that I would that that I would think about. After that, you get into like the Gavin Stones of the world. Mm-hmm. Like I think they still have to rely on Gavin Stone at least as things currently stand. We'll see if the if the offseason changes and Yamamoto Sweet State changes anything, but. Like they're still going to rely on Gavin Stone to give him innings this year, and um, you could see Nick Frasso as well. So, like, I would probably look at those metric arms that would be the first to go: the Kyle Hurts, the River Ryan's, um, to a lesser extent, maybe the Maddox Bruns types of the world, who's farther mm-hmm. away. Um, so, I think to answer your question, the guy most likely to be moved would be, for me at least, Kyle Hurt. Okay, interesting, interesting, and he's probably ready as early as this year, right? Like, that's not yeah. a guy that's four years away. Yeah, no, at least really, in some really. role. Really interesting. And teams do tend to prefer that uh, these days. So uh, so that's the Dodgers. The Texas Rangers, Joe. Um, Jordan Montgomery's a free agent. Max Scherzer is going to be out until at least midseason. Uh, that doesn't look great. Uh, Jacob no. DeGrom's going to be out most or all of 2024. That doesn't look like a great situation. Right now, their projected rotation in some order is Nathan Yavaldi, Andrew Haney, Dane Dunning, and John Gray. It's not terrible. But if you're the defending world champions and you want to win that division, you're going to have one, maybe two, uh, and, and, and potentially even three competitive teams. You probably need someone else at the top there with with Yavaldi and and Gray and Tyler Malley's you know situation. We'll find out, but it doesn't look like he's going to be available at least early in uh, in 2024. That's a late season 
uh, kind of a thing like Robbie Ray in Seattle. Yep. At best. Texas, Texas is going to need something. Now, they could sign Jordan Montgomery back. Blake Snell could be part of that conversation. Uh, it doesn't sound like Yamamoto is in uh, – the Rangers are in Yamamoto's mix and vice versa. So it looks like Texas might need to trade for starting pitching. And like when you look at their farm system, the first guy that comes to mind is a guy that finished last year uh, at the big league level and performing, and that's Evan Carter. I'm not sure he's their best prospect, but he seems to be the most important one to them. Like he's probably as close to untouchable as it gets in Texas. Am I wrong? Uh, yeah, there's two. Like Evan Carter is not going anywhere. He's going to be their starting left fielder. And Wyatt Langford, without question, is not moving. I mean, that guy is showing, he's showing an assimilation to pro ball that is MVP-esque. Like he looks like a guy that can come up hit 280, hit 35 bombs, steal 15 bags. Play good defense. Play play a pretty good left field. Yeah, like he's – I remember during the 2023 draft, I was trying to find a comp for him, and it was actually really tough because he, he's got a weird set of tools, and um, it's an interesting swing. Like he looks like he could give you several seasons of, I believe it was the 2021 version of Tyler O'Neill, where he was like, you know, a five-and-a-half, six-win player. He ran, he fielded, he threw, he hit for power. Like that's what Wyatt Langford is looking like right now. Those two are not going anywhere. Yeah. In terms so who, of like, so if you're if goes, you're calling Texas, then yeah, who's the guy you're asking for? Who's the the first guy you're like, yep, this. If you're the White Sox and we're trading you two years of Dylan Cease, who's like what a number two starter, it's going to yeah. sit at the top of your rotation for two years. If Langford and Carter are off limits, who's the guy that has to be in this deal? And and Joe, I'll just ask the question: If Carter and Langford are off limits, and the Rangers want to make this deal without trading any prominent players from their projected 26 man can they even get it done yeah they, they actually can texas has a pretty it's a pretty damn good top 30 right now it's it's come a long ways now some of the guys that you expected to be in it like jack Leiter and such they're not in it like they're not even they're probably relievers kamar rocker like probably a reliever at this point mm -hmm. but if you build a deal around justin foscue and if they're willing to listen on brock porter and dustin harris I mean, those are three really, really good bats. And specifically Foskey, like I look at that guy and if if Texas is calling another team and saying, hey, we need arms, um, we want to offer you Justin Foskey. He's been really, really good. Mm. He's he's up to AAA, more walks than strikeouts. He's got power. He can't run, but I mean, that's a potential 285, 290 hitter with you know 15 to 20 homer. And if he can play you any second base at all, there's yeah. extended value there because there's just not a lot of second baseman available out there. Well, and, and who, where's he going to play? Like, I know that uh, injuries are always in a thing in, in, in Texas. Like you got Seager, you got Semyon, you got Young, you got, uh, who's the kid that everyone was talking about getting moved at Ezekiel Duran. Like sure. they, they got a lot of guys that could take at bats. And I, I think if you can move Foscue and package him with a guy like Dustin Harris, you know, maybe Chicago wouldn't want that. Maybe Chicago would want something like Justin Foscue and, and, and Brock Porter. I don't know if they'd move Brock Porter, but those are two really talented guys who could make an impact in a future White Sox lineup, especially if you could get that. I say they wouldn't, I say the White Sox wouldn't want Harris because I think they're kind of strapped on the, you know, I think they're kind of done signing all the left-handed first baseman <laughs> in the world. Um, we'll see but yeah we'll you, see you should but be yeah right. we'll see i would think foscue could be made available if an foscue and porter joe if you're telling yeah. me that that texas is trading 
uh, Porter and Foscue for Dylan Cease. I'm thinking that's about right. I'm thinking that's yeah. about right. Brock you might Porter need a lottery and, ticket. And, and Justin listen, Foscue being the two main guys in a deal for Dylan. I, I, that seems about right to me. Huh. Well, Porter is like 2026, 20, mm-hmm. but it's still the best changeup I've seen in six or seven years of watching and like scouting uh, amateurs. It's a seven changeup. And he can spin the ball too. So there, there is a uh, there is a breaking ball to come and it is six foot five, two ten. I mean, he looks like Justin Verlander on the mound. So yeah, and he's, I mean and he's mid nineties, mid nineties into the upper nineties, right? Like we're not, talking about guy, yeah. we're not talking about guys 90 and 92 with with that other stuff. It's it's at least velocity, and we'll see how the rest of that uh the fastball value plays out. And he's just getting started. What's he 20 years old, maybe? I don't uh, know. He might be 19. Fourth yeah. rounder in 2022. So he's got a little ways to go, at least a couple of years to get to the big league. But that seems that that kind of value that seems to make sense for Dylan Cease. Uh interesting in Texas, but I do feel like at least one of those guys is gonna have to go if they're gonna make a deal for uh for an impact starting pitcher let's move to the cubs the cubs are an interesting conversation because they're the the two guys that stand out most when you say hey name two prospects in the Cubs system the two guys i think of pete crow armstrong and kate horton those are the first two guys and pete crow armstrong is their center fielder on opening day they can't really trade pete crow armstrong for example for one year of corbin burns or two years of dylan cease so if you're the Cubs and you're calling and, and talking about multiple years of a starting pitcher, if you're talking to Seattle about Logan Gilbert or Chicago about Dylan Cease, if it's not Pete Crow Armstrong, can you trade Cade Horton in a deal like that? Or do you try to avoid that too, even at the risk of not getting the guy you want if you're the Cubs? Yeah, I'd be surprised for a team like the Cubs that has struggled to to get pitching to have a full five filled out rotation for the last few years while they've still been trying to compete, I would be surprised if they moved Horton. Um, Horton's got top of the rotation stuff. He's touched double A now, huge strikeouts, uh, doesn't let guys on base. Like I think Horton is probably going to make his big league debut in, in 2024. You know, maybe it's June or July, but so long as the Cubs are in it, I think they're kind of going to rely on him. Another guy that I would put in that same conversation, uh, because I don't think PCA is going anywhere is Matt Shaw. I, I just, you know, you you draft a guy eleventh or twelfth overall in in I think that's where he was drafted in one of the best drafts of the last fifteen or twenty years. Thirteenth. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and all he does is go to Double A, hit three sixty, you know, fifteen steal. Like Matt Shaw could be their second baseman as soon as June or July as well. So I think mm-hmm. he's probably I think he's probably off the board. The rest of them though, not in love with the Cubs system, and I think a lot of these guys could get moved. So other than PCA, other than Kate Horton, other than Matt Shaw, who's the one guy other teams are going to, or maybe there's two of them because maybe there's not one guy that stands out that you probably insist. I mean, I, I don't know if it's an insist. I think if you look at the history of just how trades are made in the winter, it's the minor league catcher with hittable upside that I think is kind of the guy that people would go to. So Moises Ballesteros would probably be the guy that does get moved. Like he's still only 20 years old. I think he only made it to, I think he actually touched double a last year. He did. Yep. And he hit like almost 300 with last, I think he had 12 home runs, 13, something like that. So he can hit for power. He can hit for average. He's young. He's flying through the system. Uh, There's a little bit of like Alejandro Kirk in, not the body, but like the tool set. Mm-hmm. And I think 
you know, he can throw like that's the type of guy that I just see getting moved more often than not during the winter. So I think he'd be one of the first guys that people would ask for. Yeah. 20 years old. Uh, he'll be 21 in, uh, uh, actually just turned 20 years old, left-handed bat. He, you know, he's not big. What's he five, nine or five, seven, 200, something yeah. like that. But that sure seems like catcher to me. Um, some power and you were right. He almost nailed the, uh, the numbers he hit, uh, including his, uh, uh, including his uh, his five games in uh, in Tennessee uh, he hit 14 home runs and uh, and hit about 275 oh, wow. uh, for the season so uh, with some OBP like this is a guy who um, uh, walked 63 times and struck out 78 this is a guy who puts the ball in play and hits the ball hard. that's an interesting guy that's a really interesting guy um, for the Cubs uh, yeah if I'm especially if I'm the White Sox here and I'm making a trade with the crosstown team if I can get a long-term guy yeah. uh, that can catch at least some for me uh, in the future that's a that's a good guy to lead with uh, interesting the Cubs need to do something like that we talked at the top the Cubs fans man they, they're they're getting antsy like they're sitting around they're waiting Cody Bellinger's hanging out there they didn't get Otani it doesn't look like Yamamoto uh has the cubs in uh in his range like he's considering them like what in the world are the cubs and they weren't a bad team last year um they, they kind of need that extra kick and it hasn't happened and they're willing to spend we've seen that so it's gonna be interesting to see what they do baltimore has a slew of young players joe <laughs> this one uh, is like almost easier <laughs> it, it, it it is but you know because there's no wrong answer right like like we know Gunnar Henderson's not going anywhere. We know Adley Rutschman's not going anywhere. Jordan Westberg graduated from prospect status, but he could probably be included in this uh, from a trade standpoint. But we're talking about Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstad, Joey Ortiz, Kobe Mayo, and, and, and others. But who's it? Do they have an untouchable, first of all, Jackson Holiday is the one guy. Is there an additional kind of sort of untouchable in their farm system or is just about everyone else in play if Baltimore is getting the right pitcher back? I think it would depend on who the player is that's coming back. Like if we're talking about Dylan Cease, if we're talking about Logan Gilbert, uh, you know, maybe this guy comes into play, but Samuel Basalo is, is or I think it might be Basayo. Um, mm -hmm. He's going to be their second ranked prospect for me, left-handed, 6'3". I think he got to high A last year. I could be wrong. Uh, no, he actually touched double A last year, 19 years old massive power he can hit a little bit and it's 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 the same type of thing like it's a massive huge arm huge power better frame than Ballesteros, uh and he can hit a little bit too so like it, i think you would take a pretty special arm to come back when you're trading a 19 year old six foot three inch left-handed hitting catcher that played a double a with a double plus arm and double plus power i could care less that Adley Rutschman is behind the plate for the Baltimore sure. Orioles. Sure. Buster Posey moved out. Joe Maurer moved out. Like these guys move out away from the plate once they hit, you know, 29, 30 years old. That those days are going to come. Um, if you think Basayo could catch for you as a 24, 25 year old four years from now, uh, for 60 or 70 games and get Adley off of his feet, you're doing it. So yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I just don't think he could I, I have a hard time seeing Mike Elias move those tools. So let's think about this from, let's stay with Baltimore, but in, in terms of their trade partner, let's think about this from a little bit of two different perspectives. If you're Seattle, because you mentioned Logan Gilbert there, if you're Seattle, you need hitters, okay? Um, and I'm not talking about let's create a fair package. I'm talking about the difference in the want 
Like Seattle's going to want guys that either have proven they can hit at the big league level or that they really, truly believe in big time. Like the probability is really high. There's upside there as well. And he's going to hit the ground running in 2024. If you're the White Sox, you might be more likely to ask for, uh, you know, a guy like Basayo or, or, you know, Mac Horvath or somebody along those lines. I mean, that's not necessarily going to be ready. For I know this might be the player, Joe, you and I, Mac Horvath might be the player you and I agree on the most in all of our conversations. It seems like that's the guy we're all over. Um, but yeah, like if you're the White Sox, you, you might you might not sit around and say, no, we need a guy who's going to help us in 2020 because you're not going to be good in 2024. You're really thinking about 2025, 2026, 2027. Seattle, just for example, is not thinking about it that way. They're going to want guys who can help them now. They're going to be thinking about Kowser and and Mayo and Norby and and guys of that nature that are ready to come up and help you win right now. Um, that puts Baltimore in a in a really fun situation, at least from where I sit, because who knows which route you know they're going to go when they go acquire a pitcher. But the package is going to look different depending on the team they make it with. Yeah, Baltimore. You know, I you kind of look back at like the comments that Jerry Depoto said. Um, about wanting to win 54% of your games. Well, having a farm system that looks like this and having That's the right. roster with the control, do it. <laughs> this is how you do it. I mean, Baltimore is set up to win 56% of their games for the next eight to 10 years. But at the same time, it's like you're never, you're likely never going to get over the hump with dreaming on Dean Kramer or Grayson Rodriguez to be, you know, one of the top five pitchers in the game. It could happen, especially with Grayson. Sure. But I think dreaming on that in a playoff series is too rich. So, you know, Baltimore and and Chicago line up very, very well for a trade. Baltimore and Seattle line up very well for a trade. Um, and depending on the arm that comes back, like you could throw out a couple ideas. Like if it's Dylan Cease, then I think, you know, you're probably talking about uh, Kobe Mayo and Enrique Bradfield type of a package. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about Bryce Miller. You know, Bryce Miller, I've said it before, Bryce Miller for Heston Kerstad makes a little bit of sense. But if you're talking about Logan Gilbert, I mean, you're probably talking about, depending on how urgent Seattle wants those bats, you're probably talking about like Kobe Mayo and Heston Kerstad uh, coming back to Seattle for something like that. And you might even need to throw in a a lower level piece, you know, hard throwing reliever type for that type of deal. So it's nice that they have such a rich farm system that they can really entertain any and all of these options. Right. That's fascinating. It's gotta be fun there for Mike in, uh, in Baltimore. Think about all he's got and the opportunity he's, even though they're not going to spend a bunch of money, the fact that he can go out and do just about anything he really truly wants to do that kind of fits his ball club, uh, because that farm system is, is deep. I mean, you go down to down into the tens and the twenties and find really interesting near big league ready players in that Oriole system. Um, I mean, Judd uh, Fabian, like, yeah, Judd Kate, Fabian is Kate Povich uh, on the fast. mound. If you yes. want a guy who might be able to help you in 24 on the mound, Kate Povich is a guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, shoot, if, if you believe DL Hall can start, uh, you might value him more than the Baltimore Orioles right now. That's true. So That's true. shoot. Uh, can can Ma- you mentioned Mayo there. Can he play third for a couple of years? Can he play third? Yeah, I, I do. I, okay. I've, I think he can play third quite well. I just, you know. He's really, really big, and that's always kind of been the thing on him. It's like, well, when's he going to move first? 6'5", 230, right? Something like that. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's 
I mean, look, Eugenio Suarez played gold glove defense at third this year. Mm-hmm. What was he, 6'2", 220? I mean, 6'2", 218? Like, he was a big boy. Yeah. So yeah. you can do it late into your career, and he's always been like that five-star blue-chip varsity quarterback that can really move. So mm-hmm. I yeah, guess you're kind of betting against him with cliches more than what the film shows. Right, sure. Which is so that, fair in so, scouting. So that's that's Baltimore. That's going to be fascinating to see what they do. Um it's too bad they can't spend on one guy because then they could add two impact starting pitchers to that. Like if like if Sonny Gray was in Baltimore right now and we were talking about Dylan Cesar Logan Gilbert, that all of a sudden that that Orioles team looks like uh, not just the favorite in the American leagues, American leagues, but the heavy favorite in the American leagues yeah. with a rotation like that. So it's interesting to see. I would I would actually argue that they might be the World Series favorite until the Dodgers do something else. Like the Dodgers have a great team, but they don't have a shortstop. They have question marks uh, in the outfield with some of the younger players that just took a really long time to to develop. Um, and they certainly don't have the pitching staff that would warrant being called World Series favorites right now. I, I would stack up Baltimore with Atlanta if you gave them they two arms. Work. They got uh, they got work to do. Dodgers certainly have work to do, like the Yankees have worked. Most teams have work to do, but if yeah, if we're talking about the two number two type starters out of that rotation in Baltimore, whew, yeah, I'm not happy yeah. about that if I'm Brian Cashman. If I let that happen, if I'm Brian Cashman, I'm firing myself. Uh, all right, let's move on to Seattle. Uh, the farm is maturing. It's it's not a a great system at this point. They don't have elite names at the top in, in the upper minors especially, but there is some depth. It, like I said, it is maturing. Uh, and in the majors, they have significant needs um, that it doesn't appear they're going to be able to fully satisfy through free agency. Even if they're able to sign one bat, it seems like that's probably the maximum. And they need one or two more. So it does feel like tra- a trade does um, uh, is necessary for Jerry DePoto in Seattle. I think their top guys, Cole Emerson. Some think it's Cole Young. Harry Ford is in that mix as well. Um, is there an untouchable there for you, Joe? For me, there's not. Um, but it, it makes it really – it's really difficult to trade Cole Emerson for me right now because I, I think you'd be selling low on a guy like that. But is there an untouchable? And what's the guy, if Seattle's trying to trade for a hitter in particular, What's the guy other teams are probably going to gonna focus in on and kind of hone in on most from that farm system? So to answer the first part of the question, I'm kind of with you. I think Seattle, in, in most situations, they would hang up the phone if Colt Emerson was a requirement. I also think unless there's something that we don't know at this time, just hearing the gushing coming out of that front office, I don't think Felnine Celestin is on the market for anybody. I would be mm-hmm. very surprised if they sold him. He could be their number. He could be their number one pro. He could be their number one prospect in six months. Yeah, by July. Yeah, exactly. Uh, six yeah. months. Yeah. So I, yeah. I don't think Emerson or, or Celestin are going to go anywhere. I tend to think the guy that people are going to ask about the most is probably Laz Montez. Just you know, mm-hmm. talking about a nineteen-year-old. How old is he now? Is he twenty? Is he nineteen? Um, Thirteen. <laughs> they're all babies. It, it, it um, like on one hand, it feels like some of these guys have been around forever, and then on the other hand, it's like you look them up, and Laz Montez just turned nineteen years old in late October. It's crazy, yeah. Yeah, so it's huge it's like left power, no defensive value whatsoever. Even though the Mariners will lie to you and tell you there is, this is it. This is a bat. This is a, This is yeah. This is a bat. Um, this is a bat only. But a guy who, to be honest with you, Joe, had a surprising season for me. Started off in the rookie league, uh, but went to. Uh, uh, went to Modesto, where the average pitcher was almost four years older than he was in the Cal League uh, in his, uh, what, 150 plate appearances there. And he looked really good 
He really did. So it's a really he's a really interesting prospect to think about if you're looking at Seattle's farm system right now. Single most surprising minor league season of anybody in the entire league for me. Uh, I had I don't want to say I'd written him off because he was what 17 in the DSL and just weren't expecting this at this point. Yeah. Well, shoot. I mean, he was a kid that was seeing 85 to 87 in the DSL mm-hmm. on the hot nights. And, and still struck out, out 75 out times in 220 players. 30, yeah. 34% strike. Right. Like that. When, when does that player blossom into, especially at 6'5, 230, right? Like when does that player blossom into something that they weren't in the DSL? But yeah, he, he, you know, he comes up to Modesto. He probably sees um, high A this year. And if he can keep those strikeouts down and just kind of let the raw power flash, because it's every bit of an eight uh, in terms of raw power, mm. uh, you know, maybe he turns into a middle of the a middle of the order bat. He is still I would still consider him closer to a lottery ticket than a top prospect. Mm. But I do think that he had showed enough last year that he would be one of the first asks. The guy that I think Seattle would be open to and and willing to headline a deal with, if you want to call it headline, is Gabri, uh, Gabby Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. You know, 5'10", one, what is he? Probably 180, 5'10", 180. I think he's listed um, there, but he's closer to 200 pounds. Stand next to that dude. Like he's, yeah. he's filling out. Average left fielder, decent arm, not a great arm, can't play center, uh, probably above but he can really hit. plus power. He can hit though. Yeah, he can, he can really hit. And, and I think the league has kind of shifted the power projection up on him. I still personally don't see it in the numbers I, I think probably he's more of a five hit five plus power guy mm-hmm. um but there's a real chance that this i've called him the right-handed version of cole calhoun since he was <laughs> entered into the system like that's just what he looks like to me uh, and i think there's a really uh, a decent chance that that happens so but you look at seattle you know you look at they've got gabriel gonzalez they've got guys like uh, Johnny Farmello coming up. Uh, finding outfielders is not a difficult task for mm-hmm. any team in any way, shape, or form. So, um, if you could, you know, throw Gabriel Gonzalez in a deal with Bryce Miller uh, to get the type of bat that you want for 2024 and beyond, I think he's probably the guy that they would prefer to move more than anybody. Yeah. I got creative with the Gabriel Gonzalez trade a couple of months ago. I think you saw that uh, where I made this uh, multi-layered three-team deal with the Dodgers and the Rays. I'm very proud yeah. of that, by the way. I was very proud of my creativity. <laughs> that was pretty and, good, man. Those three-team deals are always bad. And that was, I, I mean, there was a universe where it makes sense. Yeah. I bounced that off a lot of people, like a lot of people, including the Dodgers and the Rays themselves. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I don't like this. And I was like, all right, what if I did this? And like, yeah, that makes a lot more sense for us. This is the this is the kind of thing we believe in. And I was like, all right, I'm rolling with this. So I'm very proud of that. But Gabriel Gonzalez is really, I mean, he's not going to be 20 until January and he finished the season uh, in high A. I mean, he was very inconsistent there, but that is an interesting, uh, interesting guy. Uh, I don't see an untouchable, an actual untouchable, but I think you're right. And I think this this is what you were hitting on if you didn't say it, you know, outright. It's really tough to see a scenario where Seattle, this winter anyway, trades Emerson or Cole Young. And Harry Ford might fall into that category too, not because he's just as valuable, not because he's not, but not because he's just as valuable, but because we go back to the conversations we were just having. If a guy might be able to catch, has all the tools to catch, can throw, and we know Ford's athletic, uh, works counts, puts up uh, you know 260 batting averages, 350, 360, 370 OBPs in the minors. He's starting to mature. He's going to see double A this year. I think Harry Ford could be the kind of the third guy in that conversation where it's it's difficult to see Seattle trading Ford, although he's probably more likely than Cole Young or Colt Emerson at this point, wouldn't you say? 
Yeah, I think the thing that complicates things with Harry is you look at Seattle, and I know this narrative has dominated the headlines, but with a team that is money-strapped and Cal Raleigh getting into his pay years uh, in the next three years, three, four years, um, I, I think Seattle probably has to have a backup plan for 2026 behind the plate uh, because they might have to move him. You know, Cal Raleigh all of a sudden might be a $13 million catcher and they don't want to carry that in 2026. I think they need to have Harry Ford in the cards for that. So if you would have asked me in July before all this information came out, I would have said, oh, Harry Ford is probably the guy to go. I'm I'm sure Cal Raleigh is going to be in a Mariners uniform for the next six or seven years. But maybe some resistance now. Hmm. Now, you know, that, that checkbook, that payroll is adding up for 26, 27, 28, and they might need some controllable young talent. Yeah, interesting. Disappointing if if you're Certainly. Seattle fans. Obviously, we've experienced that having lived up here. Um, so interesting. So there are five clubs with five farm systems to go make significant deals, and their uh, varying uh, strengths and weaknesses in their farm system, varying needs. Uh, Texas needs pitching. Baltimore needs pitching. The Cubs need a little of everything. Uh, the Dodgers need pitching. Seattle needs offense. Can I say uh, one more thing on the Seattle front, really quick, before we move on? Absolutely not. <laughs> this of isn't course. a guy this isn't a guy that you're going to find in the top 20 prospects on most Mariners boards but I do think if a team was calling Seattle to make a move I think Darren Bowen would be a name that I think a lot of teams are going to ask for at least as a a second or a third piece in a deal I I just think there is so much at least for model analytic metric teams that Darren Bowen does despite his rawness or mm-hmm. greenness that uh, would make him a very, very popular ticket. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting kind of tertiary guy in a deal like that. Let's see. Uh, he's going to be 23, I think in February, but I wouldn't take the age uh, from like a raw standpoint because he hasn't pitched a ton. And when you get yeah. guys like that, you have to kind of ignore the age a little bit. Six three, one eighty five. We've uh, talked about it. Yeah, There's a difference some- between, there's a difference between age and training age. And mm-hmm. I think most people see Darren Bowen as like a 21 year old training age. So he's, right. he's got, he's got a lot of uh, still kind of track ahead of him. Yeah. They have a lot of interesting arms in, in that 20 to 40 range in Seattle's commission. See if any of them move into double a with a chance to, uh, to give the, uh, the big league club uh, anything. Um, all right. So the winter Joseph, has been a little bit boring, I gotta be honest with you. Like I was having fun in November because lots of speculation, lots of primary conversations. Like that was fun. But the winner, this winner so far has kind of been the baseball offseason equivalent of, I don't know, West Bell Road in Peoria in March, where you drive for 45, oh you drive 45 <laughs> miles an hour for 500 feet, you stop at a red light for two minutes. You yeah. drive 45 miles an hour for 500 feet, you stop at a red light. There just hasn't been a consistent string of like big news yet. And Christmas is a few days away, Joe. Uh, so I, I don't want to say this hurts the game per se, but I, I, I do think it's a missed opportunity for Major League Baseball to kind of dominate sports headlines with college football. It's, you know, after the Heisman thing and the championship week, it's down. The, you know, like how many people are watching the, you know, uh, these bowl games, not many. It's very regional Regional, if your team isn't there watching it. The NFL hasn't really peaked yet at this point, and the NBA tends to stagnate interest until the trade deadline. This is an opportunity for Major League Baseball to kind of capture the sports audience, and they're not doing it. Um, what's, the, what's the first thing or two that you would do if you were the commissioner of baseball or that you would just like to see the league do 
to, uh, to, to attack. I guarantee you are going to disagree on this, but that's going to make it fun. What's the first thing you would do? And is there a second thing that you really believe needs to be implemented to make the offseason more fan friendly? Well, I'm, I'm going to speak from a 10,000 foot sports view on my second point, and it's been mentioned a million times, but let's start with the first one. I think one thing the NFL does very, very well, and these are two different sports that demand two different types of attention. I understand that. Um, the NFL's free agent signing period, I think is tremendously exciting for the fans. Except hang on, let me stop you right there. There's mm-hmm. no deadline for this though. No, but there's a delay and it opens up at the same, like uh, this whole thing, like where the world series ends on November 4th and free agency mm-hmm. begins on November 9th or whatever. So what you're saying is you'd wait a couple work. of weeks or a month or whatever until free agent signings can take place. I'm thinking, you know, I don't hate this. Just provide some sort of a window where in that window players can sign. Maybe we, maybe we even contextualize this around the holidays. You know, maybe it is, uh, you can be part of the early signing period and sign with your team from November 15th through November 24th, nine days. And then we we shut it down from Thanksgiving through Christmas. And but then, why would you do that though? Why would you do, why would you shut it down between Thanksgiving and Christmas? That's your biggest opportunity because once Christmas comes, the college football starts to take center stage again, the NFL playoff races, and then the NFL playoffs in January start to take center stage again. It seems like the opportunity is right there in that period, like Thanksgiving to Christmas. Well, then maybe we make that the period. You know, maybe we take uh, November off and things open up on November 28th and things close down on Christmas Eve. And then we shut it down through New Year's and let the bowl games happen. And then we open things back up on January 10th Mm. and go through spring training. The, The issue that Major League Baseball has right now is it's one of dominoes. Like, I, I don't understand how how an entire marketplace can freeze because one guy is waiting to see if one team is waiting to see if a guy gets $700 million. I'm sorry, AJ Pollock, <laughs> you're going to get $2 million. It doesn't matter what Shohei Otani gets. Like, uh, my, I guess my issue is there's so much between November 4th and the time that Otani and Yamamoto sign. And this happens every winter with a different player. There's so much hearsay and rumors and reporting about that one player for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks that it just numbs the casual baseball fan down to their nubbins and i think it's the report joe it's the whole um hey the the cleveland indians are fielding calls about josh naylor sort of a thing and they attach like three teams to it and it's like that's a nothing burger that's an absolute huge nothing burger fans don't really truly care about that sort of thing so i actually because what I thought you were going to say was just to, to put it in a box and say, you can sign from this date to this date and that's it. But what you're actually saying is maybe we just push it back and we kind of control this a little more yeah. to take advantage of the timing. And I'm, I'm, I'm a lot more on board with, with that. Um, and I think you can make November. So here's the thing, put November, late November, early December, make the winter meetings um, longer and make it a fan fest. Open up a bunch of stuff for fans to come to. When you put it in a place like Arizona or you put it in a place like San Diego, you put it in a place even Nashville, that's a place people in general will come from all over the country to visit. And you can almost make it like awarding the all-star game to teams. Do you want to have the winter meetings in your city? 
reward teams that are doing things the league wants them to do, although some of those things we don't necessarily Make agree it, with, it could yeah. be a huge thing for Major League Baseball. Make it like the uh, like the Super Bowl media days, but for fans. You know, put your yeah. general manager on a podium and get you know eight hundred people. I don't care how many. What do fans love about many, but... uh, what do fans love about spring training? What is one of the things access? That fans, absolutely, yeah. Bring players to Fan Fest, Major League Baseball yeah. Fan Fest in early December in Nashville or wherever. People are going to come to get those autographs. They have their pictures taken with players to watch instructional things to watch Derek Jeter show up and, and say hello to, you know what I mean? Like, like this, that's a missed opportunity to be build a fan fest. That's what I want. Yeah. This lot, the tough thing about this is you look at like last winter, 2022, or maybe it was 2021. And it was like the aggressive teams like Texas scooped up Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon so fast, but people forget that's so far aside from the norm. Yeah. You know, the Carlos Correa signing at the end of January is the norm. That's what we have grown accustomed to. So and I think that the cliche narrative or or the the whatever whoever created the hot stove, it's it hasn't been hot in years. Yeah. And maybe that's because the internet and social media and the constant demand for leaks and rumors and news from yeah. maybe that has ruined it a little bit, but we need to change up the winner because it has just become uh so stagnant yeah is there is there an effect and i'm just you know talking out my my backside here a little bit is there a potential effect uh, for the offseason to make the offseason better by moving the trade deadline during the season moving it back is there a potential positive effect on that or would that be negative when you say back do you mean like into august yeah further into the season make it august 15 make it august you know 31 or whatever instead of you know, that first Monday, you know, in August or the last Monday in, in July or whatever they, whatever. Rule I don't know. There. I mean, I don't, there's, there's not, there's not too many controllable players moved during the, during the trade deadline these days. Anyways, it's, it's so often just rentals that but I wouldn't it be, but might think? it be more, might it be more if it was August 31? I mean, teams know they're out of it. Teams that that's the battle, right? Like more teams that's are fair. in it yeah. because of the extra wild cards. If you waited a whole month and there's only 30 games left in the season, and you can trade a player. Remember what the Angels did in dumping those players so they get under the luxury tax? I mean, it was brilliant. I, I love that. That's interesting. That was great. What, I what think they just traded those players. I think you're onto something there with, you know, as, as the league continues to add more playoff teams, you have to move the goalposts in terms of when teams are punting. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, no, maybe, maybe August 15th. I, I don't think they would move a full month out of the offset, but maybe August 15th, uh, you know, gets us to that 130, 125 game mark and, uh, proof is in the pudding writing on the walls. Yeah. I, I, I will say, I, I don't know if it would have an off season effect. I was just kind of thinking maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't in, in, in a, a positive effect anyway. So it, it, what's it that would. scenario then? Cause, cause that was my instinct to think that it would have a positive effect on the off season, but what, give me, give me a for instance that, cause you seem convinced that it would. I, I don't know if it would, I don't think it it would move. I don't think it would change the off season that much. I do think it would be good okay. for the game, okay? Because I think it would, you know, maybe bring two or three more teams into the right. sell phase. But I still don't think they would move a lot of controllable assets because one thing that we haven't said is, as you add playoff teams, more teams believe they're going to win the next year. Yeah. So yeah. you know, you don't see teams moving controllable talent a year prior than they have yeah. to. Yeah. But actually, let me let me say the last thing here before we go. Um, the second piece that I would do to improve the game, 
and this has been mentioned by everybody, baseball needs, it needs a payroll. It, it, it needs something. It needs either a payroll floor. It needs a payroll ceiling. Um, I'm all for a floor. I'm not for a payroll ceiling. I just, you know, you look at the numbers now and, and the Mets were one thing, mm-hmm. but you, you start to look at now the Delta between the top five payroll teams and the bottom five payroll teams. And that number is getting so egregiously wide that it's not the parody. I, I think parody will come with the game naturally. Look at the diamond back. Like that's going to come with young players. Mm. The issue that I think baseball is going to run into is the bottom 10, bottom 12 payroll teams are going to have such a, a disadvantage every winter in selling tickets and uh, getting fans excited for the next year when they, this is the first time that I can remember since like 2000 and probably, probably 2004, 2005, that the mega market teams are the only teams in the news. It's Phillies, it's Rangers, it's, it's Yankees, it's Mets, it's Dodgers. And that's it. And the Braves too for trades, but that's it. And that's bad for baseball. When you look at last year, how it ended, how the season ended, there were eight teams, Joe, that, and I'm talking total payroll, not just 26 men. I'm talking 40 man expenses, player benefits, total payroll. There were eight teams under $100 million, eight teams. Now those teams are pretty much who you would think the A's, the Orioles, the Pirates, the Rays, the Guardians, the Royals, the Reds. There's an eighth team in there that doesn't belong. And that's the Washington Nationals. And I think that's the owner. That's the kind of ownership I have the biggest problem with at this point. Now, the Pirates have done this for years. The Rays have done this for years. The Orioles have done this for years, unfortunately. Uh, Not forever, but for years. The A's, obviously, that's a situation. And the Miami Marlins are just above that 100. They were just above that 100 million. We know what their ownership does. We know what their revenues are like. So I'm all for some sort of a floor and what it, what exactly that floor is, isn't really the point here. What the floor does is the point because I think this probably has the biggest effect of anything where we maybe are talking about here in, in terms of the off season, because how much would the Marlins like if you set the, the median payroll at the end of the year, the end of year payroll. So it's a little different than beginning of year, but the end of year payroll, the average was $166 million. If you made $140 million, the minimum for these teams to spend, look how active the A's would have to be. The Orioles would have to be, the Pirates would have to be. Those teams, the Pirates spent $76 million last year. To get to 140, they got to sign Blake Snell and, and, Cody Bellinger and like, but that's not like, what they would do. You know what? You know, I watched enough Raiders off seasons to know that they would go give some terrible player twenty five million dollars just so they didn't have to deal with the next year. They're not going to commit to. Uh, but a how top do you get? But if you're the Pirates and you have to spend sixty four million dollars to get to the minimum, how do you get? You there? know what it does. You know what it does. Like, it's not even about teams signing good players. It's not. How about it's keep about, your players? How about keep your players it's and a, not let exactly, them all walk? Exactly. Yeah. It's about the ability for a team to be loyal to its fans, to keep its homegrown players. Everyone makes such an enormous deal. 
in Major League Baseball about homegrown players. How how are we going to succeed in a small market? We got to got to do homegrown players, and then you ship them out after four years at twenty six right. years old. It doesn't. Make I've any long sense. been a. Let me see what you think about this before we get going. I've long been a proponent of Major League Baseball adopting the bird rights rule in the NBA from the NBA. Yeah, sure. It it it, it hits your. Uh, taxable payroll different if you sign your own guy and maybe there's some sort of reward that can go in there as well like you get a bump in your revenue sharing or something i don't know like maybe that maybe that's outlandish i don't know but if the marlins were to to to, to sign their guys instead of trading pablo lopez instead of trading eventually max meyer instead of probably ultimately trading sandy alcantara even though they did extend him instead of those players just leaving and going somewhere else yeah the benefit to keeping them should absolutely be there and I see nothing wrong with doing sort of a bird right sort of thing. Um, well, and it's just so good for the like this product. And I can't emphasize that enough. They are selling a product to mm -hmm. advertisers and consumers and fans. The product would be improved if you could latch on to a player who's going to stay. Yep. Yep. This is about accountability and responsibility to the fan base that you are serving the product to. And I, I just think by setting that floor, you are guaranteeing your team, you are guaranteeing your fans that you are going, you have a responsibility to spend a certain amount of money on your team to make sure that it's the most competitive brand you can. And I, I think in this current set, uh, situation, especially with the highest payrolls in the team exceeding now $300 million, it's unacceptable for an organization to be 30% of what the top team is and expect to sell to their fans this narrative and idea that they're going to compete the top five teams to to and then we'll move on the top five teams in the league in 2023 averaged a 276 million dollar payroll the bottom five teams averaged a 79 million dollar payroll that's in 2023 if we go back we'll go back to to 2013 we'll go back 10 years the difference between, we could look at this from a percentage standpoint, but the difference between the top five teams, $204 million average, the top five teams, the bottom five teams, 69 and change. The difference that you mentioned is growing greater and greater and greater every single year. And it, stretched beyond, it stretches beyond the top five and the bottom five. But the, and, and a lot of times we like to call them haves and have nots, Joe. It's really the willings and the unwillings. We have yeah. a lot of people that own teams that shouldn't own teams because they're not there uh, about baseball. They're there about franchise yeah. value and about selling. You know team. what I like in this too, Jason? Um, it's, it's similar to the English Premier League in a way, right? There's no cap. Mm -hmm. Whatever the owner wants to spend, the owner can spend. They can spend outrageous amounts of money. Um, but here's the major difference. The 30 teams in Major League Baseball are all sitting on top of $1.5 billion stadiums. And those English Premier Leagues, the bottom 10 teams, they they play in high school stadiums that can right. fit 3,400 people. They don't have a financial and social obligation to, to make their team better. It's just, you know, and there's relegation as well. So if every single team is playing in a $50,000 stadium, which I might remind you in a lot of cases is being publicly funded by taxes. Mm -hmm. Most cases. Then in most cases, you should have a responsibility as an owner yep. to at least put your best foot forward, at least to a bare minimum standpoint, a, a floor to, to get that team into a competitive 
even a competitive dream, like, you know, yeah. a hope. Yeah. There's, there's too many teams right now that just don't have hope. And that sucks for the yeah, sport. It does. I look at teams like, um, well, I look at teams like Oakland right now. That's the best example right now. Like, mm -hmm. like what that owner has done with that team should not be allowed. So, all right. Anyway, uh, really quick, uh, in, in a minute or two, Joe's gonna Joe's gonna depart. He's got some things to do, and you know, frankly, he doesn't really like me all that much, which is fair. Facts. Um, and we're and we're gonna replace <laughs> you on this show for the rest of this show, Joe, with Jeremy Booth. Jeremy Booth is gonna come in and talk baseball with us. You got a message for 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 Big J, Big Jeremy, on this? Should I send a message? Can I can I pass along some sort of note from Joe Doyle to Jeremy Booth? when he walks in the door here. Yeah, shouldn't be tough for Jeremy, but bring hotter takes than me. <laughs> oh, you, boy, you uh, you preface that perfectly. <laughs> shouldn't, be, <laughs> shouldn't be tough. If I know JB. one thing about JB, I think he's going to bring the mic. <laughs> so so hot takes. Uh, lots of substance there with Jeremy, so uh, we'll talk to him in a minute. Joe, uh, we'll talk next week. Uh, happy holidays, dude. Um, uh, look forward to talking next week, and uh, I look forward to um, uh, to more conversations like this one because we just made the game better. And I'm going to send this this episode to the commissioner. We just changed Please. the world. So if I'm there's one thing I know about Rob, it's that he probably has 80 <laughs> minutes to listen to us. Yes, he does. Absolutely. Thanks, Joe. We'll talk next <laughs> week, right. man. That was the voice of Joe Doyle. Follow him on Twitter at Joe Doyle, uh, M-I-L-B. Uh, that's Twitter or X. Find his work, including 2024 MLB draft boards and a mock draft, a really interesting mock draft at futurestarseries.com. All right, here we go. The first time on the show, it's the founder and CEO of Program 15, the president of baseball operations for the New Balance Future Star Series. Take another breath because we're not done. You've probably seen him on social media or in the Houston area on KHOU 11. Uh, he co-hosts the Extra Bases podcast with the great Jason Bristol. Nearly two decades as a player, coach, scout. It's Jeremy Booth's debut on the show. Uh, JB, you missed uh, Joe Doyle. He sat in that chair, uh, so to speak, for almost an hour. And I asked him at the end, you want to pass on a, a, a message to JB? And he said, no, but I got a challenge for him. And, and I said, fire, fire away. And he said, you got to have hotter takes than I do. That's the message from Joe Doyle to Jeremy Booth. I'm not, I'm not sure what that means. I, I, I'm not sure what it means either. You, what does that mean to you? Like, hot, I don't mean hot takes. I don't think you meant hot takes like, uh, uh, like lame or, or in a negative fashion. I think it's just like, be, be better than I was. I know it's going to be difficult for you to achieve, but promise me you'll try. Promise me you'll try. I, I <laughs> promise you I will try. Let's get, if, if there's a challenge that, that that that's been been issued by by a young Joe Doyle, I, I'm going to stick to the table. Uh, excellent. Uh, I, I want to get your thoughts on some things uh, around the big leagues eventually. But in, in in our visits here over the coming weeks, uh, the winter's been slow. Otani, there's lots of stuff going on. But I think this is uh, a really good time to do a couple of things here in the first episode. You're joining us. Uh, one of them is to send folks to Amazon to find your book, JB, to be honest with you. Uh, Inside the Mind of a Scout, which, among other things, uh, sheds a light on, and I quote from the book's description here, JB, uh, the misconceptions about catching the eye of a scout. Um, I, I, can we start there today? Because that's really interesting to me. Can you give us kind of a, 
a general synopsis of that part of the book? Because this is a very popular question. 14, 15, 16 year old ballplayers and their parents. How do they get noticed? How do they stand out to scouts? And this goes for college coaches too, because most of these kids are going to end up in college before they go to pro ball. Uh, and are there things that you see players doing that you advise them not to? What, what's missing from some of these kids' uh, efforts as they try to get noticed? You know, the, the, uh, the worst thing, I'll start there, that you can do as a player is to try to keep up with the Joneses, right? You have to have an understanding of who you are. And um, to, you want to get the attention of an evaluator. College coaches, by the way, as a side note, are not scouts. They are college coaches. Okay. And scouts will get really upset if they hear a college coach described as a scout. And scouts will get really upset if they're described as a scout. They're a college coach. Now, um, athleticism, confidence, uh, comfort in your own skin, self understanding, believe it or not, those things go further than just the raw tools. Um, there's things you can develop over time and you should, if you're 14, 15 years old and you're as good as you're ever going to be, it's over. Go play chess, go play <laughs> soccer, go play MLB, the show, you know, you might do one of those games, right? There's a couple functions in that that are interesting to me, but if you, if you, if you turn around and you, uh, you're just worried about being noticed by scouts, you're not, you're going to get written off the list. And this is, this is why when you tell me you want to get noticed by a scout, I say get in line. So does everybody else, right? But if you're doing what people are, are think they need to do, throw as hard as they can, uh, run as fast as they can, that doesn't mean anything outside of you can throw hard and run fast. Can you play the game? Can you put those things together in a way that 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 works? Can you be a good teammate? Can you be a good person? So the list is kind of long, man. It's kind of long about how to how to catch the eye of an evaluator. But I promise you, athleticism, makeup, comfort in your own skin, confidence, those type of things, skills, back to ball, whatever your position is, um, and, and tools all kind of have this kind of rotating place. The tools are obvious. You know, tools get you noticed, skills get you paid. What's one of the most misunderstood uh, things? In fact, I'm just going to suggest one and, and, and see if you can add to it. The radar gun. I see kids chasing, you know, you know, they're 13, 14, 15 years old. And they're like, I'm at 83. I'm going to be at 85 soon. And their work goes into that radar gun. What do you have to say about stuff like that? I mean, obviously throwing hard matters, but is there something in addition to that? Like, is there some uh, you know, sort of miss, missing oppor missed opportunity there for those kids as they, because again, these kids are developing without much help. They're really on their own, you know, to some extent, up to a well, certain point, depending on where they are. Yeah, they're being given development um, in in labs and, and the lab development. And I'm not talking about one place. I'm about a lot. But these are labs. So even these even these travel ball um, organizations or developmental centers, I mean, they're labs. Right. I mean, we have things that we're doing where we're going to have some of these two um, different focus. But we're going to have them, too. And they're labs. That's what they are. Let's call what they are. They're labs. Just because I have a different lab than you don't make it not a lab. Right. Still a lab. So. Um, I saw something today on, on X that was uh, a, a, called a Velo pen. And I've seen them before. I understand what they are. I mean, this, that's, this isn't a new concept in today's um, taste baseball world. It's been around a while. And a Velo pen is about moving as fast as you can, throwing as hard as you can, and who cares where it goes because you're trying to build up speed. 
inevitably that doesn't work. And the reason why that doesn't work is not because it doesn't build up speed, because it does, but because going as fast as you can to develop that develop patterning, which is why they do it, without any kind of idea of controlling that patterning, sets your brain to a place it can't recover from. They don't. They talk about your body, and they talk about motor skills, and they talk about, okay, I, th- there's some validity to that. But as far as performance, that's, there isn't. When we decided to, when, when we were, we came out of our mama, okay, we were, we, we, we crawled first, right? Then once we got that down, we walked, okay? And then once we walked, we trotted a couple steps. And then once we got the trot down, it was a little more of a run. And the next thing you know, we're sprinting. How come... If that's how our brains are naturally wired to process information, a step at a time, block A before B, do we go all the way to block Z when it comes to developing to work back to A? That's not how we're drawn up as human beings. I don't care. I mean, just it's simple. It's like two plus two still equals four. It didn't all of a cut all of a sudden start equaling nine. You know what I mean? So if, if that if, if that's the, the approach and what I would say is doing things that way gets you written off, written off. It doesn't get you committed. It doesn't get you signed. It doesn't get you on a draft list. It gets you eliminated. Don't do it that way. And the funny thing is the velocity pens I saw today on X were thrown by free agents. Mm. Now, last I checked, a free agent meant out of work. Yep. It means I don't got a job. Hmm. They're trying to get a job by by lighting up the radar gun. Hey, I was 92, 93 last year. Now, look, I'm throwing 97 now. Great. Good for you. Eddie Eddie Bain said one time to a room full of scouts, he said, big league hitters, don't bo- velocity, don't bother anybody. And I can tell you from experience, you can throw as hard as you wanted. I wasn't going to miss that. And I wasn't a big league hitter, but I wasn't going to miss it. Just I don't care. Throw as hard as you want. I'm going to hit that. Right. So if if that is the what we're thinking and that's what we're training, uh, any of those other pens, pitch design pens and tunneling pens and 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 and, and chicken pens and, you know, Sean pens, there's all kinds of pens that they're throwing out there. You know, and I don't know why we're doing it, but we're doing it, um, you know, and I, I mean, I know why the purpose isn't there. So to these to the players that are out there trying to develop, you got to understand your body. There's a time to move fast. There's a time to build blocks. To me, the best way still will be develop the movement and then accelerate the movement. Develop the next movement and accelerate the movement. And you'll have somebody in 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 who's never played this game competitively with any kind of success. will say, that's not how you do it. And I'll say, then go put a, get a helmet and grab a bat and figure it out yourself. And they won't do it. Mm-hmm. That's not my job. What do you mean? Why do I have to stand in the box? Because until you know how what it means to move in that with dexterity, speed, skill, strength, athleticism, cognitive function, and 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 hand-eye coordination. Probably want to stop talking about how to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Talk about different ways to to grow pieces. But as far as 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 that getting noticed on a scout, which is how this started, the player development on their own. You want to know yourself, you want to move through it. You want to be aggressive with it, and you want to build one step and then go to step two. Get step two right, go to step three. Get step three right, go to step four. And you want more proof on it? I'm happy to give it to you. I'm glad you asked. When you look at Major League Baseball, 
do you start in the big leagues and end up in rookie ball or do you start rookie ball and end up in the big leagues? I'll wait. I, I think both is possible. <laughs> Let's ask Alec Manoa at this point. <laughs> both is That's possible. Point, point taken. Point, point yeah. taken, however. Point taken. Um yeah, that's obviously a very uh, a very special case. Um, oh boy! Interesting. Yeah, I mean that's a, obviously a very 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 special case. Yeah. So it, when we when we talk about um, these, I mean, future star series is a is is a series of events that um, that some people will look in on and say, oh, it's a showcase. I never use that term because I don't see it that way. This is a this is when people ask me. You know what? What makes them different than some of these others? I I tell them, you know, I, I don't sell them at all. They said, hey, I had a guy uh, a couple of months back say, hey, sell me on, you know. And I was like, well, let me just let me just tell a story, and I tell them of a scout day in Georgia yep. in February. Yep. And it was my second event, first trip, second event since signing on with you guys, right? So here I am. I don't know anything about how these events work. I've seen other other outfits events, never seen a future star. And I see one in Carolina and we're down in Georgia and we're about to leave. We're in the the FSS mobile, ready to ready to go. And you tell our driver, hey, hold up, stop right here. And you get out the car and you give this 16-year-old, six foot six, six foot seven, six foot eight, uh projectable flamethrowing lefty. Uh, you walk up to him and hand him your phone. And on the other end of that phone is the head coach of an elite college program. I tell people that story, JB. I tell people that story um, because I was about to ask you, and the reason why that popped into my head, I was about to ask you, how do these kids know who to trust? But I think you answered that question uh, just a couple of minutes ago. That the people that are running these outfits, the people that you're supposed to be listening to, where, where are they from? What have, what have they, what have they done? What, what was their last position? What makes them qualified to explain to you what your development path should look like and who to trust? Um, that's what I tell people that that's the story I tell people. And, and that's how I differentiate future star series from really anything else. Um, and, and I got a lot of, huh, you know, huh, from that, that's, that's, it's quite interesting, but it's also really interesting to hear you talk about what not to do. I, I think that might be most important than what you're doing. It's almost like a process of elimination here. And, you know, some of these kids are 13, 14, 15 years old and their, their parents don't really know, you know, what to do unless they're former players themselves or scouts or coaches, or unless that's where they came from and that unless that's what they've done. Uh, over the course uh, of their careers. There's an event. There's a Future Star Series event. NorCal. Um, uh, what's the other scout day in uh, in stock? Game Prep Baseball Game Academy Prep. Um, yeah. in Stockton on the 30th. If you were telling people why these events matter for those kids, and it's what classes 24 to 28 they're open to. If you were just to put in a, a couple of senses, words, why those events matter for your kid that's trying to get better, trying to ultimately get seen, get noticed, get uh, put themselves in a better position, um, but mostly get better uh, on the field, what, what would you tell a, a parent or even, even a player about a scout day? Because combines are a little different. Open IDs are a little different. They're just getting tested. 
but a scout day is a little different. It's a little bit more involved. Why are those, why are those events important? So, I mean, the scout days are involved because, uh, you know, they run with our partner organizations and, and that means that, um, I don't want to say I'm more invested because that's, it's kind of, it's tough because I get to see those kids so many, so many more times. Right. And I want to be, I'm invested in their growth in a different way. It doesn't mean that I'm not invested in the growth of the, uh, players from the combines come to the open IDs, regional directors, the different pathways in. But it does mean that with the scout days, with the organizations, you have a different opportunity to get to know them and you see them over time. You know, NorCal and Game Prep been here for seven years now. Mm-hmm. They've been here a long time. And so we've seen these kids come through and grow up and mature and move on. You know, and, and sometimes they have they've had classes that haven't been a fit for what we do and they know it. And they move on and they and they take them different places and we get the best kids from that class instead of the entire class because you know, NorCal especially has tried to make this of the two we're talking about, um, you know, uh, and, and Granado with game prep. I can't say that Granado game preps on our staff. Like he's great. You know, I played against Anthony. But when it comes to um, to Rob and, and Tony and NorCal, what they're doing is they're trying to make sure that we're part of everything the best way we can um, with the best kids that they have. And, and look, we've grown quite a bit. Right. So not only do you have the development under the have some feedback, some guidance. Uh, seen by major league club, major league scouts rather. Now that information obviously is going to go different places, right? When you have um, those asset points for the other events that are out there besides us, we now have a voice and we can send them other places and keep them in a system as opposed to uh, turning kids over and families to defend for themselves. Now, again, that also doesn't mean the travel organizations are doing that. Many are. The ones we work with or not, NorCal and Game Prep are equipped, but they come to us constantly and ask our opinions and ask our help. And it's more of a developmental pro level um, uh, access point that allows things to trickle down when it doesn't work at the pro level. It's a it's true partnerships and relationships. And uh, the scout days are have a different feel than the combines. Mm. Yeah, they definitely do. Those are fun. Uh, Georgia was fun. I still think about it. It was way back in February, like eight months ago, nine months ago, 10 months ago. I still think about how. Yeah, I still think about in February. Yeah, I still think about how fun it was to sit there and watch those players and to watch the staff work with those players and holler out at the second baseman to to, to keep his you know to keep his backside down. You know, little things yeah. like that was yeah. uh, was uh, was a lot of fun. All right, so like I said at the top, as we visit on on episodes of the FSS Plus podcast here with with you. Um, we're going to ask about Shohei Otani. We're going to ask about the Astros pitching staff. We're going to ask about uh, whether the Yankees hitting coach has a clue. We're going to ask about um, things like that. Not today. Um, one thing that's come up in in conversation. Now, like, he, here's the way I think about Jeremy Booth. Just to tell everybody out there, maybe even to tell you, you've been a part of what three teams scouting departments? Is it three. You've been in draft rooms. Your circle includes, you know some of the best evaluators, coaches, executives, the game has seen recently and maybe ever to, to some extent. That's, that's the circle. That's what's fun about this conversation for me. Uh, some are still in front offices. Um, it's what they do. The relationship with the Players Association is strong. It's a constant conversation in your world. But I want to talk a little bit about a trend, if you want to call it that. Give or take the last 10, 20 years, you correct me if, uh, if that's way off, in Major League Baseball where – scouting and maybe even development uh, in Major League Baseball, things have shifted a little bit and and not for the better, maybe for the cheaper, but not for the better. And I'm wondering from, from where you sit, where does the league stand 
and and what's missing and at what level is it missing and 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 are there any signs it's heading back uh in the other directions i don't think this is something fans ever really see and feel jb like we just see oh we're moving toward data and and every year a team wins the world series and it's like well do they embrace data and it's like well yes cool data yay championship here's a trophy and I don't think the casual fan, even the hardcore fan, hardcore fan is really exposed to these kinds of conversations. What is missing? What is not going on that used to be that really should still be to advance how these clubs in Major League Baseball are evaluating talent, uh, particularly at the amateur level, high school, college, and then teaching them, developing them through the minor leagues into the big leagues. What, where, where would you start in that conversation? I think I think we're I think we're we're headed back towards um, a, a balanced approach. I, I don't think anybody from the beginning has ever said that a balanced approach. Well, let me say another way. I don't think the baseball people, traditional baseball people, said a balanced approach wasn't necessary. Um, I think it's very myopic and actually foolish to think otherwise. And I think that um, the industry, after twenty years of of this really, because that's really what it's been. It's about 20 years of the swing. I think they've realized that a balance is necessary. Now, um, Major League Baseball itself has all types. They have, you know, bulls in a china shop. They have political people. They have authority driven people. They have glory driven people. Um, and it's a very interesting network and, and balance to 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 watch. Um, I think I I think I and we um, have been fortunate that we've been able to to take hold of our position, whatever that position means, as far as our relationships and our growth and our uh, fr- and our, our communication and our friends and, and whatever we do, um, and find ways to move the game forward that it helps it get back to balance. Um, if I if you had to ask me what the mark was on the game that we did it, we did drove home through all the platforms, including the one in Houston with Jason uh, Bristol. It, it was to drive home balance. It was to allow these guys to be recognized for things they had done. The game has realized they need these they need these guys that can see it and unfortunately and teach it in ways that don't just come off a stat sheet. Um, unfortunately, most of those personnel have been pushed out of the game or games moved on and they haven't been trained another way. Um, there's a million different ways to say it. I think all three of those are accurate, right? I think they're all accurate. So um, it, it, to bring those back, you have to find a workforce that thinks differently. And I think that Major League Baseball has looked at a way, um, looked at this as, as an opportunity, this position they're in right now with rule changes and everything else to get away from bad, slow, boring baseball, get back to action, get back to production, get back to things that bring, keep the fans happy. But to do that, you have to people that can teach it. You have to people that can understand it, people that can see the, 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 uh, the value beyond the exit velocity, beyond the, the, the metric and, and that on StatCast and defensive range. I mean, you know, you were on our conference calls or, or, or you were on our, uh, rather, our org meetings all week. You know, we talked about all that stuff. It's not that that's not valuable, but we talked a lot about having to see things the other way and how the model was going to balance and what we were going to do as we go forward. And I think MLB, 30 different clubs, 30 different flavors, right? They're going to use different stuff. Um, Butch Bacala, I used to say 31 flavors. Mm. (laughs) It's fitting. 
but you know, with with um, with with the major league baseball, it's thirty flavors, and and if we're the thirty first, for example, with the player eval, I'm talking about. There's other groups that do things like. You know, per, perfect game. I'll, I'll talk. I'm not afraid to talk about these guys. They they watch us, and I got a text message tonight about how 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 scared these guys are of us. And they, oh, hey, there's a feud going on for who? Like who? I do. I do not care. We don't talk about them. We. I don't care. We don't. They, they literally never come up in our conversation. What we're going to do? We don't talk about their personnel. We don't talk about their people. We don't talk about their approach. We don't talk. This is literally JB the first time it's come up in a conversation. Yeah, and I, and I want to say this because I know this is. I know they're going to watch this, so I want to say this. They're going to watch this. They, they watch the stuff with Jason, but they're gonna, with Bristol, but they're going to watch this. Let me say this and listen real close because it's going to be good. It's going to be worth your time. Want to get it right? You don't matter to me. You're irrelevant in my world. I do not think about you when I wake up. I do not go to bed with you on my mind. I do not go through my day wondering what's going on in whatever office you have of what person you've had on a, on a boat or a yacht that's going to tweet about some kind. I don't think about any of that stuff. It doesn't matter to me. All I care about is the problems that come my way from being part of the stuff and other stuff that's out there because I got to fix them. So you know what's actually good for me? It's good for me that you guys are in business. It's good for me that you're doing your thing because you gave me a purpose. You gave me a reason to go out and do it. And beyond that, I don't care. I don't care what events you have. I don't care who you play. I'm not worried about your yard. I don't. The fact that you're worried about mine says you're scared. And that's okay. Go ahead. Mm. I ain't worried about you. I'm, I'm still not going to think about him, JB. <laughs> yeah, it will not occur to me after this minute. You yeah. know, and there's, look, I mean, they do, they don't do everything bad. There's a couple, there's things they do that are good. And then, you know, there's stuff with, with uh, other groups out there that, that people, that good people work there, you know, and, sure, yeah. and get stuff that they do. I mean, you, it doesn't have to be this war over this dollar over this kid. I'm about the kid. I'm not about the dollar. I'm about the game. I'm not about the dollar. Be about the dollar all you want. Good for you. I don't need $9 billion to live. Knock yourself out. If that's what you want to do, and that's how you guys get over on people, and that's what the, the expression that you got, and that's how you feel, then go ahead. There's a lot of secrets you got behind your closed doors that nobody's talking about yet. Yet. <laughs> okay? So if I was you, I'd just focus on your lane, and i do what you do well, which is marketing and content, because it ain't baseball. It's marketing and content. Okay? Congratulations on having a good marketing content and user company. It's awesome. Okay, I'm gonna go back to worrying about baseball, the kids, and trying to help them get to the big leagues. And look, I, I'm not gonna fight. It doesn't mean enough to fight to me with, with you. I'm gonna keep doing what we're doing. Um, we're gonna keep go, moving ahead and, and impacting stuff. And whatever happens, happens. Just, there's there's a space for all of us. You mentioned our org meetings this week, JB. Before I flip this back to how major league clubs sorry, are. Was that worth no, 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 no. I brought it up. I brought it was up. That, was that worth it? It was at least worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, before I flip back to, to the, to the whole point of this conversation, um, the, the org meetings we just came out of, um, I, I don't like meetings. You know that I like meetings. Um, I'm also, I'm also at times disruptive in meetings. I think you would agree. I, I like to raise my hand and, and interject, you know, sometimes when you're, it's not, I mean, it, yes, I get it. Yes. I'm a question asker. Um, so, but I hate meetings. Uh, this week was different, but 
the way you you tweeted about it uh, on Thursday, yeah, and I retweeted about it, or you re, you tweeted about it earlier in the week, and I retweeted it and 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 quote tweeted it um, on Thursday. Um, the the plan for future star series and everything it involves and everything that involves it is very very much like what you were just talking about with players and how their development path um run before you crawl didn't make any sense big leagues before rookie league didn't make any sense and that's not how we're doing it either um and i just to be honest with you i just live here as we're recording this just live put two and two together in that manner uh in my head so um it's an interesting way to think about things because there, there's so much amateur baseball and there's so much, and it's not just college. It's not just high school. There's travel ball. And this really starts with kids that are, uh, that are a really young age, but um, getting back to the, to, to major league baseball it is, would you say, and you said it's headed back in that direction at some pace, whatever that pace is, it's starting to head back another, and maybe that's one or two or a handful of teams kind of leading the way. And the others will eventually follow because it's just like the NFL. You find that 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 West Coast offense that works so well for the 49ers, then there's all kinds of versions of it that start to spiral around the league for the next 30 years and everything's a hybrid. But where would you say the biggest disconnect is? Is it at the amateur level? Was it scouting players at the amateur level? Was it specifically high school, specifically college? It, where was the biggest problem area from an evaluation standpoint where it's, you know, like, like you mentioned, it's kind of starting to head back to where it needs to be. Where's the biggest disconnect there from a scouting standpoint? The, dis the disconnect is, is, um, is it literally just too much data? Like relying on data? No, no. I, I think the disconnect from the scouting standpoint is, well, you know, you say reliance on data and that could be one way to say it. I think the other, I think the way to say it would be, be when analysts got in the, in the, in the front offices in an aggressive fashion, not because they were never there because they were always there, but in aggressive fashion. What you got was people who did not have the base, and they're going to hate me for saying this, it just it's the truth. They did not have the baseball feel to be able to subjectively understand it because they didn't have it and, and didn't have the library and couldn't understand what it meant to do it. It meant to them that nobody else really could either. And it was kind of like hocus pocus and it was like a little bit of voodoo and whatever words we're going to use to describe something that people don't really understand that they're afraid of. And they didn't get it and they didn't want people around who could do it because they would say things with baseball in the, in the essence of the game and in the flow of the game and understanding what it was that the, the, that the people who only had numbers were either threatened by or couldn't understand or a combination of both. OK, and they didn't want to deal with that. So what they did was they went to went to a, an approach of I understand the stock market. I understand that, you know, Jeremy Booth's book inside the mind of a scout was a bestseller in 11 categories that I can quantify. Right. I understand that some eyes are blessed by God. You know, I understand these are things that are accepted truths that I can understand. OK, and so when you look at those things and they're accepted truths. The question becomes, why am I not going with more of these things that give me an insight that tell me my the way my mind works? And I'm not saying it's incorrect, but my mind works is going to get me the result instead of the voodoo hocus pocus over here that can't possibly be right on. 
Now, you compound now that scouting is the hardest thing to do in the game. Scouting is harder than hitting a baseball. You know why? Because it's not you controlling. You're relying on everything else for that player to get to the big leagues. The player, the people around him, the organization, the approach, health, that's the hardest thing to do in the sport. And so in some ways, having as much data and information as you can to help that decision is a good idea. But you still need the other side of it. And so when you when you get to a place of, of, of that, I think we found a, a, an area where there's been enough um, sample size, to borrow the term, right, um, where we understand that's not the only way to do it, it doesn't work. Would, would you – I had somebody say this to me once. Um, would you categorize in, at, at any level the – the analyst, the the data. I don't even want to say analyst. The um, the folks that that gather data and try to find inefficiencies. They try to find that next high leverage reliever that pops out of nowhere because you can get him for you know a million bucks or or a minor league deal. Um, guy that pops into mind is uh, Austin Adams, who was traded yep. to San Diego fears back. Like he popped for a year, and then you know, and, and and it's a role that's volatile in Major League Baseball. But is there something about his you know, his spin efficiency or uh, his breaking ball in general or something where you can get a lot more out of him than anybody's ever got before. Is the is that idea, uh, would it be fair to categorize that as just finding an inefficiency and trying to attack it the right way versus scouting is more of a skill? And I'm not trying to, to denigrate the data part of it, but it sounds like, like skills are repeatable, right? Everything else, like, the, like relying – because some people's jobs are literally use data, use information, use statistical information about players, about the history of players, about the age, about lefties, righties, uh, right. college, high school, their experiences, what they did in the minors and certain leagues in the minors, uh, trends, the, their age, things of that nature. Find something in all of that information that tells us there's an inefficiency here and that might be a good player for us to get. That doesn't seem like a repeatable skill to me. That seems like something everyone has, and it's essentially a choice for one organization to value certain things over another, value walks over hits, value uh, getting on base over power at certain positions, valuing defense a little more. There are clubs out there. Seattle's one of them, JB. They play, they play in the most difficult place to hit in all of Major League Baseball on a regular basis. Why are they throwing the Kyle Schwarber types out in right field every year? You know, like like there's a lot of space to cover. It's just one of those things. Some clubs value defense more than others. Is that is that fair? Is that fair? Again, I'm not denigrating the the data folks and the people that analyze from from that well, kind of information, the, the but fact, it's got to be like a skill. The fact that you got to say that you're not denigrating them for speaking the truth is a well because it kind of it kind of sounds like no, I, because I'm not because I'm not. I, I would denigrate not. the process that that weights that improperly. Yes. But, I don't think I don't think it, I think it's just that you're you're saying, listen, man, I mean, everybody's got the same information at this point. You know what you do with it's probably the skill, how you interpret it's the skill. But the, having that data, everybody's got it now before everybody had it. Houston Astros were ahead of everybody else in baseball with it. There's no question about it. And they had it and they got it out there and they got it done. And then everybody rightfully so tried to get on it. And that was the flex. How do we get on it? How do we find those inefficiencies? But we fell in love with we as an industry that that was the only way to do it. You know what the new flex is now? 
teaching guys how to locate that, teaching <laughs> guys how to pitch out of the strike zone, teaching guys how to go east and west, teaching guys how to hit that stuff. You know, the, the, the sarcasm <laughs> is dripping, JB, because yeah, you called it the new thing. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the new that's a new flex. You know, which is why I talk about going back to the middle. So. I don't think you have to uh, qualify that. I think you nailed it. I think that's it. I think that what you do with that data is the skill. I think that's the human being, though. Mm -hmm. That's not the sheep, right? It's not the numbers. That's the human being. And a human being has to have some vision, some people skills, the ability to relate it, to be able to make that execution happen. And, oh, by the way, talk about why that matters and how mechanically to do it that isn't part of artificial intelligence or anything else. Has there been a point over the last several years where maybe I'm asking this question wrong? Maybe point singular wasn't the uh, wasn't the right way to put it. Um, have there been points in this kind of conversation over the years as baseball's grown and some people attach this to Moneyball, like whether it's, that's when it started or that was just the first time we took notice of it in that manner? That that's kind of what I think, but. Has there been a point in the last, I don't know, 10 years um, or so where you've just kind of rolled your eyes really, really hard at the way a certain team or certain uh, front offices or certain personnel uh, tend to treat this this process? Because it sounds like some clubs are much, much bigger offenders uh, than others. Well, I'll say, I'll say it this way. You know, I'll talk about Moneyball for a minute. Because the Oakland A's, I grew up around David Forrest, um, down the street, same age, um, you know, uh, I mean, same area, like played most of my life. Um, you know, the lot, the Eric Martins is a base coach there. Darren Bush is there. Um, you know, I, I know those guys, Kotze, I mean, I know those guys pretty well. And um, not to mention their scouting staff. And what I'll say is, is that the A's, for all they get blasted for Moneyball, they stopped drafting like that a couple years after they started. Sure. Yeah. They just, people just don't, they don't pay attention because they keep thinking money ball, money ball, money ball. Yeah. Now, for the A's at the big league level, regardless of what that product looks like right now, um, that makes a lot of sense because they don't, they're not given the budget and they're not given the money to go compete. And, and, and if you're, if the Oakland fans are really being honest, they stopped coming out some time ago. Wasn't just last year, or the year before. I mean, even back in 2002, 3, 4, 5, they were not showing up like that. They showed up when they won, but they weren't showing up consistently, right? That's not that different than, than most cities, but in Oakland, that's a, that's a different dollar amount to it, right? So, I mean, that's just that's just how that worked. Now, if I had to say I'm going to pick on – I won't pick on a team today. I'll say that I'm very interested to see how the Red Sox are going to look because they have two of what I believe to be some of the worst hitting guys on the planet that they just hired. Okay. And I'm interested to see how that looks. Are you telling me JB, hang on, hang on a second. Are you telling me that hit strikes hard is not a perfect approach to teaching hitters how to hit? Is that what you're telling me right now? I'm going to say this. I have a ton of respect for the guys over there. Obviously we do stuff in their building. Um, you know, it, it just, uh, this isn't a, uh, this is my personal opinion, which they all know I'm going to give and it, they, they have their processes and they're welcome to them and they, they got to do what they believe. But the entire American league East stood up and applauded when they hired Jason Ochart and Dylan Lawson. Now, if your opponents are standing up and applauding that you hired a couple of guys, I would take that as sarcasm. 
Okay. And I'm just, you know, Dylan Lawson was the only guy in the history of Brian Cashman's tenure that he fired during the season. Mm, that should, that should say something. Might want, and, and look, you know, um, Jason Ochart to me, while I haven't paid attention to what he does in the last few years, his track record or non-track record speaks for itself. These guys could be the most process-oriented dudes in the world. They don't listen. They think they got it all figured out. Their track record says otherwise. Um, and that's the downfall. It's not so much they can't learn. It's not so much they have nothing to offer. That's not what I said. But I'm telling you, JB, if, if Red Sox fans are listening to this, they cannot be happy. Traded Alex Verdugo, acquired Tyler O'Neill, hired two coaches that you're saying aren't going to help them. And, and, they ovation. and they haven't done anything else this winter. I know that there are a lot of other teams that haven't done anything, but the Yankees have done some things. The Baltimore Orioles, the Toronto Blue Jays, the Yankees, and the Tampa Rays are already better than the Red Sox on the field. They're significantly better now because those other teams have either stood pat or gotten better. The Red Sox have even gone backwards. Uh, I'm not happy if I'm a Red Sox fan at this particular moment on on a Friday afternoon when they're listening it's, to this podcast. It's it's not for me to to to. I'll never go after anybody for doing what they think they need to do. Like I'll pat you on the back and wish you luck with it. Those two dudes baffle me. They just do, and the fact that they're in the same place. <laughs> well, you know the way around that uh, around those guys, JB. Is for Boston to go out and spend a bunch of money on a bunch of established players and win that way. But they haven't done that. So I don't know. Maybe that's a sign that they're just trying to cut corners because that's what they did with the Mookie Betts deal is try to cut corners. And now we're one full cycle away from the Mookie Betts deal because they just traded Alex Verdugo and they're they're no they're no way nowhere better in, in any way. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what the process was. You know, I and I don't I, I don't know from the outside looking in, which is all we got. You know, you have to look at what the thinking is, and you got to question it. And it's like uh, it's all in Seattle is a good example of going down a certain pathway and saying we're gonna that Jerry's gonna have the money to do what he needs to do, and all of a sudden it just magically disappears. Now, you question what the step one was was for, and step two was for if you don't let him finish step three. And I, I just I don't understand. And in, in Boston, if you if trading Mookie Betts was designed to get all this other stuff back and you've gone backwards, why would you keep doing the same thing? What's it been, four years? Yeah. Yes. It's, like I, I just, it's like they're waiting for everything to pop. It's like they're in Hopeville, like some of the mid and small market clubs are. Hey, if everything goes right, we're going to be really good. But nothing's ever, you know, it, that's not the way it works ever. Like we saw that in Seattle. You were in Seattle when when they were kind of forced to do that for, for a few years before. Kind of forced? Well, I mean, you know, they did sign Robinson Cano and they did sign Nelson Cruz, but they were still in hope mode because they were relying no, no, on Brad no, Miller and Dustin no, Ackley and all these guys no, to pop like all at the no, same time. Don't do that. Don't bring it up. Don't bring it up. Don't bring it up. Don't bring it up. Okay. They were. They were in hope mode. Okay. Uh, and I'm we not, had, I'm not well, throwing Jack Sorensic under the under the bus here. We had we had Cruz signed after we signed Cano. We had him signed, and ownership said no because he's coming off the PEDs. And all then you got him the next year. Yeah, you're a different team. Yeah, to, totally. It's a year later. You can't do that. You needed a right-handed power bat then. What are we, a half game out of the playoffs or a game out of the playoffs at the end? Lost in the last day, right? Yeah. So you yeah. can't you can't do that at that point. I, I don't know. 
you're gonna get me going down a road we don't want to go. Want to keep uh, well, but, but we're gonna do that at some point on this yeah. show. We're gonna go down that road and 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 I want to talk about Jack some more because you you spent quite a bit of time with Jack. Um, Jack's on awesome. topic. Jack always treated me really well. Jack was a funny dude. Uh, I remember seeing him uh, at Cheney Stadium in Tacoma. He was there to see uh, Taiwan Walker and James Paxton. And I asked him what he thought of James Paxton. He was like, yeah, yeah, you know, we obviously like him, you know. And I was looking for a little more out of Jack at that point. And I think uh, I, I think Tom Allison was there was there with him, who gave me a lot more than Jack ended up doing. But I totally get it. And uh, and I said, you know, you like him, but, you know, like, do you, do you love him? Is he is he going to be this, like, potential number one guy? And Ross stuff-wise, maybe he was that front-line kind of top-of-the-rotation type. And he's like, well – let me just say this. I love my wife. That's what Jack said in response to, do you love James Paxton? He said, well, <laughs> uh, so we'll go down that road at, at some point. Uh, cause Jack's a fun topic. Um, JB appreciate it. Uh, I know, uh, we run out of time here. Uh, we will talk about, uh, moves and, and trades and free agent signings and things like that. But I think going down the, the scouting and player development road with you, uh, is always going to be fascinating. I wanted to, to start off that way. So, uh, uh, we'll chat soon. That's, uh, Jeremy Booth, how would you like if you had to have one thing? Because at the top, when I introduced you, there's there's twelve things: KHOU, there's Program Fifteen, there's Future Star Series, it's former Scout, three clubs. Like I don't know, like Jeremy Booth, Future Star Series. That's the easiest way. I, I, I just I just think of I think of myself as a human being that gets up every day and busts his tail to be as good as he can be. And however somebody decides they're going to describe me, then let them do it. You know, ever, it, to me, it's 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 I the beholder and no answer is wrong, um, even if you don't like me. You know, there's probably some reason for it. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> you know, it's, I'm good. I'm good with whatever I'll you want. Some reason for it. that's beautiful. So uh, when I when I tag you in, uh, in on social media that that you joined us, uh, it's going to be Jeremy Booth, human being. Love it. That's the way it's going to be. That's the way it's going to be. Um, appreciate it, JB. I know you got to run. Um, we uh, we do this every week. We do this yep. every week on FSS Plus Podcast Future Star Series. Uh, find Jeremy Booth. What what the hell is your Twitter handling? Ways underscore right there, at underscore Jeremy Booth. Right there. at underscore Jeremy Booth. And you don't have to capitalize on X. You just toss in the letters and, and there it is. But you should be following him anyway because uh, talk about hot takes. Oh boy. And I mean that in a good way, like no holding back with Jeremy Booth. All right, we'll talk next week. Thanks to, to Joe Doyle. Thanks to Jeremy Booth. This has been the FSS Blitz Podcast. So just chill to the next episode.